Before we get started with our second episode, I want to share with you why I've started this podcast and share with you a couple ideas and goals that I am pursuing and learning about through the production of this podcast. Um, first, I wanted to create an avenue for musicians in Philadelphia, especially folks making original music, uh, an avenue for them to connect with their audience and to connect with a broader audience. I'm hoping through the format of a podcast that I'll be able to draw in new listeners for them and also create a an opportunity to create a, a deeper emotional connection between the musician and the listener. Um, second, I was interested in creating something that helped different musicians in the Philly scene connect with each other and learn about each other. I, I just think that that's something that is uh, healthy for a musical ecosystem. And then lastly, I'm interested in learning and, and pursuing ideas around different funding models for musicians and artists. Uh, I started a Patreon page for the podcast, and that is there to help with costs with the podcast, but I'd also like to eventually be able to support the artists directly in, in their work. Um, I think it's important for everyone in the creative economy, for lack of a better word, to be thinking about um, how we how we get musicians and artists paid. I, I think the more that we can support musicians and artists in the creation of their work financially and to help them realize their work, I think it's, it's better for everyone. One of the ideas I ran across in... In thinking about this, I learned about from a podcast called Other Record Labels. Uh, he interviews uh, people running independent record labels. And there's one that was really interesting about a label in Scotland called Last Night from Glasgow. And they have a membership-based record label with uh, payments from zero to $300 a year. That It's a membership-based, uh, subscription-based, and... For for your payment, you get a, a certain amount of you know digital downloads and physical copies of music, and it you you receive a schedule of what's going to be released that year, and the artists are able to have their work funded, and I think it's really interesting, um, and I think it's it's something that uh, folks could be thinking about here in Philly. I'm not sure if personally I want to be starting a record label like that. Um, but it is a model that I'm interested in, in, in using, that I'm trying to use with our, our Patreon page. Um, with the Patreon page, I'm hoping to help support the podcast with costs associated with the podcast, but I also want to be supporting these artists directly. I make sure to keep a link to the Patreon page in our show notes, so if you want to check it out, take a look there. Uh, I'll be posting the episodes early on the on the Patreon page for... The folks who subscribe there and there are also some additional perks for those who are interested in that and uh without further delay we're going to get into our second episode here with erica i hope you enjoy
Welcome to Found Sounds, the podcast that features Philadelphia area musicians and their original songs and compositions. I'm your host, Paul Geis, and I'm excited to bring you the stories and ideas behind these musicians and their music. If you'd like to support this podcast and the artists we feature, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash foundsounds. Look for a link in the show notes. Our guest this episode is Erica Corbeau. Captain E. Corbeau, 022487, is a human being hailing from the earthly metropolis of Philadelphia. Captain Corbeau composes and performs her original music with the aid of Berta, the time machine, and her brave and loyal crew, trusty co-pilot Pieter Piano, adept maintenance woman Flora Flute, and Erica's very own alter ego, Viva Voice. Erica has a vibrant creative energy and can be found performing a broad range of styles. Some of her past projects include collaborations with the Philadelphia Jazz Project, Jazz Vocalist Collective Diva Nation, Tap Dancer Pamela Hetherington, and the Impermanent Society of Philadelphia. In today's episode, we will touch on two pieces that are a part of her solo songwriting project, plus a sneak peek off an upcoming release with the Space Bell Orchestra. First up is a song off her debut album, I America, titled Kinzu, Here We Go. 20 miles, here we go. We are on the open road. We are going, we are going to Kinzu. Where the great bitch once has stood, now part of our network. We are going, we are going to Kinzu. Fallen trees cover the ground, a tornado knocked them down. In a valley, in a valley of Kinzu, the eighth wonder of the world, tumbled in a windy world. In the valley, in the valley of Kinzu. Here we go, here we go, here we go, go, go. Through endless mountains we wander, such sights we will behold. On the road, on the road, on the open road. Beware the nittany lions, black bears, bobcats, and toads. In just 94 work days, 40 men the bridge did raise. In the valley, in the valley of Kinzu. They built tracks across the sky, 301 feet high. In the valley, in the valley of Kinzu. Through the Pennsylvania wilds, this great railhead run for miles. Through the valley, through the valley of Kinzu. Neat the arches, I was told. A bank robber hid his gold. In the valley, in the valley of Kinzu. Here we go, here we go, here we go, go, go. Through endless mountains we wander, such sights we will behold. On the road, on the road, on the open road. Beware the nitty lions, black bears, bobcats, and toads. Here we go, here we go, here we go, go, go. Through endless mountains we wander, such sights we will behold. On the road, on the road, on the open road. We'll search for buried treasure, we'll find our way to gold. Erica, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me and doing this podcast. Yeah, I love how playful that piece was. Yeah, that's my grandmother's train whistle, uh, like at the beginning and the end. Um, Yeah. I love that. Um, Kinzu. Where's Kinzu? Kinzu, or I actually don't know if it's Kinzu or Kinzua. It's spelled like Kinzua, but I say Kinzu for some reason. But it's in Central PA. It's an actual, like, uh, state park. 
So it's called Skinzu State Park, and it's built around this huge railroad bridge that when it was built, it was the tallest and longest railroad bridge in the world. This was before steel, so like in the mid to late 1800s, I think. Uh, they built it out of iron. Um, soon steel took over, so the bridge was surpassed. But when it was built, it was called like the eighth wonder of the world. And um, it serviced a lot of railroad lines, and it's in north central PA, like uh, kind of near the border of New York. It's about like five hours away. Um, and in the 90s, a giant tornado like wrecked the bridge, like completely wrecked it. Like the, the all the the metal is like twisted and it's like strewn all over this oh. valley. And they left, wow. yeah, they left, they didn't rebuild it. They just left the wreckage there. Oh my gosh. As like a testament to the power of nature. So now you can go <laughs> to the park and like walk out. They have like a platform you can walk out on and like look down uh -huh. and see all the wreckage. Wow. So yeah, it's really cool. So that song, I just was really fascinated by the history of the bridge and it's basically me just giving the history of the bridge. There's some cool like legends, like a, a bank robber hid his gold under there somewhere and then was killed so like people go and try to like dig up the gold i like that lyric yeah i like that lyric we'll find our weight in gold yeah <laughs> that'd be really cool um my grandparents also went there when they were younger like when they first got married so it was cool when i started going there um and i really love pennsylvania which i have a couple songs about pennsylvania it's, it's where i'm from and um in Central PA is really beautiful with like the mountain laurels and I haven't seen a nittany lion in the wild. I don't know if there's any in the wild left, but <laughs> yeah. Nice. I love that uh, you used your grandma's train whistle and that she was part of that story of like being, uh, of like your relationship with that place. Yeah. And also actually the drums that you hear are not drums. They're um, this mm. instrument called a boomba which mm -hmm. is also my grandmother's. It's like this pogo. It's like a homemade folk instrument. I oh. don't really know where it's from. There's different stories if you look it up. Some people call it a stump fiddle, S-T-U-M-P-F, stump mm -hmm. fiddle. Anyway, it's like a, it's literally a pogo stick that you mm -hmm. like glue a bunch of stuff onto. So, so there's like a tambourine and mm -hmm. on the top, there's like two hi-hat cymbals and then there's like jingle bells and there's a wood block and then you're supposed to like personalize it. So my grandma put like a beer tap and like some ribbons on it and then you bounce it. And then oh like there's a string that holds a ball and you bounce it and like hit the string and it hits the tambourine. And that's how you get like the sounds. That's very cool. Yeah. I love that. It's played. In so was, was that, was that you playing it or did you have someone playing? No, that was my friend, Joe Gruber, who is a drummer, but I had him play the boom bob. But so it was very like personal to me, the, instruments used in a song <laughs> that's very cool yeah I, I wanted to talk about the the concept of that album i america and what 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 like brought you to write about it and what your relationship is with it now yeah so a lot of and, those songs uh, yeah. are actually really old they're like 10 or 11 years old at this point um mm -hmm. I kind of like came to i never really wrote a lot of songs i would just write here and there um and I think I was taking lessons at the time. I was taking jazz lessons with Fareed, uh, Fareed Barron. He was kind of my mm -hmm. mentor at the end of my college years. And he, um, 
I think I was like, he gave me like this chord exercise and I was doing it. And then I, he just heard me like kind of improvising with it. And he's like, oh, that sounds cool. You should make a song out of it. And he kind of encouraged me to start writing songs. Um, and that's basically where that album came from. It took me a long time to record it, but I didn't mm. actually have too much of a plan when I wrote the songs. They just kind of came out. Um, and those songs came out about like really organically, like often I would actually just sing the melody and the lyrics, like it just came out in one piece. Mm. Um, I was also a house cleaner and a housekeeper at that time. So like, you know, when you have like work like that to do all day, you're, mm -hmm. I tend to get a lot of, when you have like mindless work or call, like, I don't like the term mindless, but it's like sure. physical work where you're not like having to engage your mind. I kind of get a lot of ideas. So I, right. I, I yeah. yeah, I think like I was also camping a lot. So that's where the ideas for Kinzu came and Central PA, which we'll hear later. That also came from all my camping trips that right. I was going. I was going out to Central PA like to, I have a telescope. So I was going out on new moon weekends to do like stargazing stuff um, in the summer. It gets really cold in the winter. So. Basically just the struggles or, you know, what was going on in my life at the time, um, just ideas that would come to me when I was working and then just my feelings for Pennsylvania inspired <laughs> the songs on that album. Um, cool. Fareed's a great, uh, great mentor for any piano player. Yes. I, he was really, I don't think I would have been a, like a professional musician in any sense if I had, didn't have him because I was in school for something else. And I just kind of assumed that since I didn't like, I was doing music on the side, but I didn't really know how to make money with it. And then right. I kind of thought since I didn't go to school, I couldn't really teach lessons. And like, I didn't want to be a performing musician where I was playing every single night. Like that's not really a lifestyle that I like. So mm -hmm. he encouraged me to start teaching lessons. And like the fact that he had confidence in me, like, cause he's really, he's like one of my favorite piano players ever. Like, I love how he plays. So the fact that he yeah. had confidence in me, um, like I, I really gave me confidence. I don't think I would have done it without him. So I owe, I owe a lot to him. Yeah. We're going to listen to a piece of yours called It's Endless. Yes. And I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit before uh, we jump into listening. Yeah. So this the recent songs I've been writing are usually I have the lyrics first in a because I write a lot of poems and then I'm making a song out of it. I actually like it better when I do the melody first, but for whatever reason, that's not right now. It's just happening the opposite way. So that's a really old poem. The lyrics to It's Endless are like an old poem I found from like, I think the end of high school or when I was like 18. And I used to be really into like the band T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex. They're like a fantasy, like British folk band. They, they became mm -hmm. like a glam rock, but like their early days, they're like this fantasy folk duo and they would write like these like mystical lyrics. So I think that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's kind of inspired by that. And then uh, what happened? Oh, and then I showed the poem to a friend. And he like just put a couple chords to it and kind of rephrased the way the rhythm and that gave me like a bunch of ideas and I finished the song. So cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I really like that ending. Yeah, like the whispery part or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it takes it takes the piece into like a new place. Yeah, I guess I tried to like, well, so I love the nighttime, which I guess is kind of what that song is about. But um, I guess like the nighttime is when I really can feel like calm. And then I do kind of feel that feeling of it being endless. Right. Like time, like doesn't really matter where in the day I'm like, Oh, what time is it? I'm like, <laughs> like, is the sun going to set soon? Like, I don't, and then the end just feels like the, the night just feels very like endless. And yeah, I, uh, I don't know why I did that, that whispering, repeating thing. It, well, it feels to me like a sort of an intersection between 
sort of two different kinds of music you have. There's these songs you write, and then there's the free improvisation you do. And I felt like that was a moment that really, like, they came together. Yeah, and I guess that's actually one of my, like, missions, but it's more just an interest, but it, tur- it turned into, like, something I, like, really want to do. And I, I think you can hear this in a lot of m- my music, is I like to mix things that are really in. Like, that song is a very simple song. Like, like melodically and like harmonically with like really out. Like I love mixing those because I have those two like disparate elements of myself. Like I like like really simple like pop and folk music. And then I also like like avant-garde music. Cool. So yeah, I do like to mix those. Cool. Let's talk, let's talk about that other kind of music. Avant-garde. <laughs> Free and pop. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love playing free improv and there's a very like confusing amount of terms for this music. Um, I don't say that I play free jazz. I mean, some people would say free jazz and I think it's fine. I don't always say that I play that way because that implies like certain instrumentation and like maybe a swing also. Some people say free jazz always has, has to swing in a certain way. I like to say like avant-garde or free improv, but anyway, I just, I love to play it. That's safe. Yeah. I love to play that way because it's just free. Like I can play how I feel. Uh, I can play to how I feel that day. So if I'm tired, I can play in a more gentle way. If I'm really energetic, I can play a more energetic way. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you, you do that a lot with the Space World Orchestra, right? Yeah, that's my main, um, that's where I kind of like, so Space World Orchestra has played together for 10 or more years. Um, we started mm-hmm. as a class at Drexel University. Cool. And we that's kind of where we all like learned about and practiced this music. And I do do it on my own with other people. But my main group for that is Space World Orchestra. Who was teaching that class? Dr. Moss, he passed away, sadly, mm. um, very suddenly. So he was like really our, our, all of our mentors and teachers. And Steve Davitt, um, the saxophonist in the group, he was kind of the first person in the class. And then Connor and I joined, and Kyle Press used to be in it too. Um, and Dr. Moss just really encouraged us. He like we did all types of crazy stuff. We practiced like improvising while staring into each other's eyes. Cause like we noticed we would get nervous making eye contact. So, <laughs> so like we would just, it was like almost like therapy sessions. Like we would say what made us nervous and then we would like practice that or, and we would always like record our improvs and then listen back and like analyze them. Um, and then we all graduated and we like kept going to the class. And then after like two years, Dr. Moss was like, all right guys, like, it's been a while. <laughs> so like we had to stop, uh, but we kept the group going. We had turned into Space Well Orchestra. It used to be cool. called Die, D-I-E, the Drexel Improv Ensemble, but like uh-huh. no one liked that name but me. So um, yeah. And then he sadly passed away from a heart attack. So we like to keep oh. his memory alive with the group. He was like a really amazing teacher for us. That That's sad. Yeah. Um, but that's a, you bring up an interesting part of this music to me is that uh, some people might hear this music and think everyone's doing whatever they want. But a lot of times there's uh, deeper relationships that are, you have a, a long musical relationship that, so you guys are interacting 
uh, with ideas and sounds and, and you understand each other's playing in a way that really informs how you're playing. Yes. And I do feel like, so I listen and go to see live a lot of improvised music and I've improvised with a lot of other people. And I feel like our level of musical communication is like extremely high and it's like unique that we can do that just because I think we've done it together for so long and we have like-minded ways about playing and about what we want free improv to sound like. So a lot of people who improvise freely are just kind of playing all the time or like in free jazz, there's kind of the blaring, like intense, like horn kind of thing. And I love that sound too. But like in our group, we worked a lot. Um, we did so many exercises on laying out, um, you know, if you don't have an idea or if you're not sure what to say, just, you can lay out. We work a lot on not all four of us playing all the time. We work a lot on letting it drop down to duos or even solos. Um, and that's all been like really hard, really like hard meaning consistent and like pointed work that we've done. Yeah. So our sound or our ability to like improvise together isn't, isn't random. Like you said, it's come out of like a lot of studying and a lot of experimentation. Cool. Uh, so we're going to, you guys have an album that is unreleased, right? It's coming out. We're actually finalizing things with the label, which I'm really excited about, but we don't have oh, a date awesome. yet, but it was, so we recorded it a while ago, but stay tuned for the date. Should be soon. Okay. Yeah. So sneak, sneak peek, yeah. a little teaser for the rest of the album. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stay tuned, you know, follow Space World Orchestra and all the, all the things so that you can uh, be, you know, know when it's coming out. Um, so they're out. Can I, I can say the album name and all that, or should I? Why don't you just, rest? just say the track name. Okay. Track name is. Oh, quick. Quick said thrush. Quick said the thrush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sure. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> we also, like yeah, we also tend to practice playing like almost like songs. So like that was like a short piece. We didn't edit that down from like, right. like some people Live that improvise just yeah. play, you know, they'll just improvise and it never stops, which is cool too. We do do that sometimes, but for this recording, we worked on like, here's a two minute piece that we're going to improvise mm -hmm. and things like that. What did you hear in that piece? I thought a lot about this piece, so I, I'm going to have like a <laughs> overthought answer because I use this to send to labels. This was like the one I chose because it's short and it's digestible, which a lot of people are, I feel like, scared of improvise. Not scared, but they're a little turned off by improvised music because it's, sure. it can be, it can, I think it can sound self-serving to the musicians if the audience isn't used to listening to music like that. Right. So I chose this because it was a short piece. It showcases all four of us. So I'm on piano, Steve David on sax, Connor Presbyshevsky on trombone, Mick Richaretto on clarinets. Um, there's a lot of interplay between us, obviously. Um, it's obviously a more rhythmic piece. Mm -hmm. We do have like, you know, more melodic or slower pieces, but it's exciting sounding. But, cool. Yeah. I've read on your website, uh, how Alexander technique is like a big part of your practice. And I was wondering if you could talk to us some about uh, what you've gotten from Alexander technique and, uh, and how it affects your music. Yeah. So I love the Alexander technique. I'd say like, besides from music, it's definitely my life's work and maybe honestly, even more so than music because like it's my body. So it's even like a deeper connection. So, um, real, real quick. So Alexander technique, can you, what would your definition, like, how would you describe it to somebody who doesn't know? Yeah, it's really hard to describe. Um, if you're interested, I'd, I'd recommend like looking it up and on Wikipedia or whatever, but I can tell you, it's basically, you learn a system of movement that focuses on, um, repatterning tension patterns. So the idea is that when we're kids, you know, before we've fallen a lot and had emotional trauma, our bodies move freely and easily, and then tension patterns set in, basically, you know, in response to stimuli around us. And the, the Alexander Technique basically trains, it's a body awareness training that trains you to repattern those movements. And it's just really, it's very meditative, it's really beautiful, and it has, you mm -hmm. know, I could talk about it like metaphysically, or I could talk about it very practically, and, you know, you're literally retraining your muscles to react differently to stimuli. Um, cool. yeah, this has been monumental for me because I have a chronic pain condition. So mm -hmm. like playing can be really painful and used to be more painful when I was younger. A lot of musicians use the Alexander technique. It was developed by an actor cause we have so much repetitive motion. Right. Um, and it's actually really easy to be injured. Um, right. when you're a musician, especially cause we're not really using our whole body or, you know, it's not like an athlete, we're not running or something. So, um, it really helps with repetitive motion strain. Um, it really helps me just like, for example, playing free improv can be very taxing. You know, it mm -hmm. takes a lot of strength if you're playing like loud, crazy stuff. Right. So it really helps me, um, with stuff like that, like know how to use my body better. Or if I do end up getting sore from playing, it helps me to like recover faster. Cool. It will also generally improve your tone and everything. Cause the more relaxed your muscles are, the more the sound wave can 
use, you know, you, you want your body to use the sound wave. So it, it definitely improves everyone's tone in their voice and in their playing. Yeah, I know. I, I had that experience when I, uh, when I studied some Alexander technique in school. How, how is that? If you're, I don't know if, if you're like uncomfortable talking about this, you don't, we don't have to, but how, how's like the pain like affected your practice and your creativity? Like what's that? What are those, how do those interact? Um, so it's been really difficult. I don't mind talking about this now. I didn't used to want to talk about it when I was younger. Cause I, I don't really want people to define me like as that girl with the problem. But, um, so it's, I've had to like completely quit performing a few times in my life. Like, um, you know, now everyone with this pandemic, everyone's like, Oh, I can't perform. What, what do I do? It's like, I've had multiple times in my life like this where I've had mm-hmm. to like quit everything. And, um, when I actually recorded I America, I could like, I couldn't play for more than like 10 or 20 minutes at a time. So I recorded that like all in my house, um, which it doesn't sound as good as it could just because I, you know, I'm not a professional engineer or anything, but it was like the only way I could make that album. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really like helped me mentally, like just knowing that I could like make that album. But for example, I didn't really tour with that album or like push it because I wasn't really in a place physically to be able to do that. Right. Um, uh, like right now, for example, I, uh, I'm trying to do this kind of like sabbatical thing where I'm basically going to the shed for, for, I'm trying to go in for like a couple of years and really practice and work on some skills, yeah. like practice for long hours. And I'm not really able to do that yet, but I'm, doing a bunch of stuff where I feel like I might finally be able to get a handle on this and cure it for good. So I'm, you know, in a bunch of new treatments and stuff. Cool. So I'm kind of just always looking, my game is very long, like a very long game. Cause I just never know. Like okay. I just can't, you can't rush it. Like you can only do sure. what your body can do. So I think it's smart to play the long game. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only game that's available <laughs> to me. So <laughs> Fair um, I want to talk a little bit about your monthly concert series. Yay. Warp, Warp Factor 9. Yeah. <laughs> Warp Factor 9. I played on it once. Was it in March? It was like right when the pandemic started. Right. It was, was like it two days first, after the shutdown. Was it your first streaming? Was it your first one you streamed? Was yes. It, yeah. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I admire you for doing something that really helps the community, help the music community and give people to do like creative thing, a place to do creative things and help uplift that. So I just want to give you some time to like talk about what the concept is to you and how it's going and maybe what's coming up. You know, this, this podcast will be coming out the middle of February. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So I started Warp Factor 9 like almost two years ago, I guess, I think in March 2018. And I basically just wanted there to be a place for avant-garde or creative music. Um, specific, there's not a lot of homes, like there's a lot of places where you can play straight ahead jazz. And then, you know, there's like rock clubs, there's like really good rock clubs in Philly, but there's not like a lot, a lot of places for weird music. I mean, there, in, unless you're playing at like a house. So I guess I just wanted to make another place for that. And there's also not a lot of venues with pianos, um, which saddens all pianists and no one else really minds. Uh, But that saddens me. So there's the Warp Factor 9 is held in a piano studio with two really amazing grand pianos. 
Um, and so I started the concert. It's once a month. It's every third Thursday. Uh, I've just basically been getting different local acts. I'm trying to focus on all, like, I don't really have a genre. It can be, you know, all genres of creative music. And I really like pairing things, odd things together. So maybe I'll have a singer-songwriter with a crazy free jazz drummer, like something mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah. and I also try to focus to focus, uh, feature a pianist each month. Um, when COVID hit, yeah, you were, you were on the show of COVID. So it was like it's a few days after the shutdown and you were supposed to be on the bill with another pianist. And then they ended up fleeing, you know, in, for good reason, yeah. fleeing this city, um, like at the last minute. So I was really glad you still wanted to play. Um, and you were my first live stream audience and it's actually been more successful with the live streaming. Um, the room is so small that when we, right. You can't fit a lot of people in yeah, there. We can only fit like 20 people, but it, that gives it like a cool vibe. Cause you know, it looks like right. really crowded. Like, so it yeah. feels like it's better than playing to like a huge room that's empty. Um, but we've been getting more people tuning in and more donations live streaming. So I'm hoping that even when we can meet in person again, we will continue to also live stream just cool. so more people can watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so before we're going to end the podcast, listen to a piece off of I America titled central PA. Yes. But before we get there, I want to do our little double time section where we go through some questions really fast. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope I... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's your favorite venue to play? Uh, in Philly, I like uh, Johnny Brenda's, I guess. Yeah. Okay. What's your dream venue to play? Like, this is hard for me to answer. Like in Philly, I always wanted to play at the art museum, even though like the acoustics are so hard to deal with. I just always really wanted to do that since I was a kid and the pain of yeah. pride. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, what actor would you pick to play you in a movie? Um, Kristen Stewart, because she has teeth like me. And I also <laughs> like her acting. I think she's really good. Nice. Um, if you could share dinner with one musician, uh, alive or dead, who would it be? Joanna Newsom. And if you could play with one musician, alive or dead, who would it be? Ornette Coleman, hands down. <laughs> and uh, name one other, or I say one other, but Mervin, Mervin felt like he wanted to pick a couple people. So name a couple, couple musicians in Philly for, for other folks to check out. Yeah. One, I was going to say, I cannot pick one. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say you Paul guys, but <laughs> oh, <stop>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I do, I think you're doing good stuff for the music community too. And I do generally like your music. So you are one of them. I would also say, um, Pamela Hetherington, um, uh, lard dog and the band of shy, uh, um, Miss Cantaloupe, uh, and that's it for now. Um, I asked you to listen to Mervyn's record. Uh, Mervyn was on our first episode in January, and uh, I just wanted uh, to hear you know a couple things that you liked about his music. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because I really like that idea. Um, uh, so I did listen to his record and I liked the eclect the eclecticism of it, um, of his influences. 
Um, I also liked that it had a spiritual nature, a spiritual feel, which is really important to me, even if it, the lyrics aren't directly saying that, that the music kind of feels like that. And I thought he had cool drum drum beats and his drummer was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Erica. Um, we're going to listen to Central PA after a little message from the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to look Erica up on all her social media pages. Her last name is spelled C-O-R-B-O. And I'll make sure to put a link so you can find her in the show notes. Our podcast is Mix and Master by Connor O'Neill. I've gotten a few mixing and mastering lessons from him. So if you are looking to bone up on your skills, make sure to reach out to Connor. I want to say a quick thank you to our two Patreon supporters. My cousin Eric Case out in California and uh, Philadelphia uh, pianist uh, Max Honig. Uh, thank you so much. And, you know, if you're interested in, in supporting the podcast with the Patreon page, take a look in our show notes. You can find it there. And, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage everyone, if you have any ideas for the podcast or any ideas, you know, regarding some of the, the goals and ideas I was talking about at the beginning, uh, feel free to... Uh, you know, drop a message on any of our social media platforms. Everything is found sounds P H O U N D S. No one spells it like that. So it's pretty easy to get all those uh, social media handles. You can also send me an email at foundsounds at gmail.com. I want to hear from you and, and what you think of, of Erica and Mervyn's music and what we've talked about on the podcast and any ideas you might have. Um, so let's have a listen to this last piece from Erica called Central PA. Pack up the gold.